I think it was, I don't know, coincidental, prescient, timely, but last night I was watching the latest episode of Ted Lasso, and for those who haven't watched Ted Lasso, you need to you need to watch it because there's a reason it won all those Emmys. It's terrific. And the program, the setting of this particular episode was around a funeral. The team owner's father had died, so the team and everyone was going to the funeral. And one of the main characters, she said she just didn't want to go to it. She described it as a party for sad people, <laughs> which I thought was pretty, pretty funny. So with that, I want to introduce my guest on the podcast, Gail Rubin, who is an event planner, but describes herself as the doyen of death. Gail, welcome to the Cultural Scavenger, and tell me what the doyen of death means. Andy, great to be with you. A doyen is a woman who's considered senior in a group who knows a lot about a particular subject. People who read the New York Times may see that. Uh, term tossed about in various articles. And so I am, yeah, I'm a baby boomer. And um, I know a lot about funeral planning. And that's the party no one wants to plan. Uh, But it's more than just funerals. It's also end of life issues, uh, wills and trusts, advanced medical directives, and pre-need funeral planning, downsizing. There are so many elements to facing the end of our own lives or of our parents' lives that um, we haven't dealt with. There are statistics out there. The National Funeral Directors Association estimates that while humans have a 100% mortality rate, less than 30% of adults do any end of life or pre-need funeral planning. So guess what? That means 70% or more of our loved ones are going to be scrambling to pull together information and make expensive decisions under duress of grief. And that is not the time to be doing that kind of decision-making. Yeah. And it's, but the problem is you don't want to think about that. It's like no one plans to die. Well, I love with a caveat. I think the people that are unvaccinated, they do have a death wish and probably somewhere in the back of their, their mind. Nah, they don't, they don't, they don't think about that either. They're just, being dumb assholes. But um, (laughs) aside from that, you wrote a book that pretty much tackles all of this. It's a great primer. It's not lengthy. It's very clever. It's called A Good Goodbye, Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die. I must say this how-to book is funny and comprehensive. Lots of new ways to go through the funeral experience. Tell me about it. So my background before I became the doyen of death, I was in public relations and event planning. And let's face it, funerals are the parties no one wants to plan. As that uh, person in Ted Lasso said, you know, it's a party, but uh, you don't necessarily have to be sad at a funeral. In fact, people are starting to call them celebrations of life. Yeah, I wrote I wrote this book. It came out in 2010, so it's really due for an update. I need to update some of the cremation figures, which have really skyrocketed over the past 10 years. But also, there there are so many more choices to make. Not only could you be buried or cremated or have your body donated to science, 
You can be composted. You could have alkaline hydrolysis. So rather than cremation and fire, they put your body in a tank and water and chemicals reduces the body to the bones. It's more gentle. It's more energy efficient, but not everybody knows about it. But I did know about it when I wrote about when I wrote the book in, in, and it came out in 2010. But that's the thing. When you think about funerals like a party that no one wants to plan, you need a venue. You need a guest list. You establish a theme if if you're really going to go to town and, and celebrate the life of the person who died. And that takes planning and writing and communicating. So a good goodbye covers all of those different things and uh, also includes a planning form that you can pull your own information together or sit down with a relative and pull their information together. You know, obituary writing, nobody wants to, you know, think about writing their own life story unless they're going to write a memoir. But hey, why not do a 500 word story of your life? And that can serve as an obituary or a eulogy that somebody could read. You did a TED Talk, and um, one of the things that struck me, and actually that's watching your TED Talk before I got your book, was one of the reasons, if not the reason, that I wanted to have you on the program because it was uh, informative and informative and, of course, funny. But one of the chapters in your book is called, It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To. Yes. Again, the humor that is so prevalent in this book, it's really the way, I think, to deal with this. And this particular chapter deals with celebration of life. And more and more, we see this as a send-off rather than a traditional funeral. I think everyone that listens to my podcast knows my story. And that's what we did with Allison. We couldn't be having this conversation six years ago. I can tell you that right now because I was too devastated and in shock. But one of the things that you were t- you're talking about planning it in- inadvertently, Barbara and my wife Barbara and Allison one day were just talking about Barbara's end of life, and she said, "You know, when I go out, I want to have a celebration, a party, and I want them to to play Whiter Shade of Pale." And Allison said, oh, wow, that's a great idea. You know, I, I love that. And of course, we remembered that. And so we had a celebration of life and we played just it was it was a party. It was, I don't know, cathartic to to some degree. But are you seeing more of this this kind of the celebration of life rather than a traditional funeral? Well, uh, the decline in people who identify with a particular religion plays a big part of that. Um, One of the other things that I do is I am a certified funeral celebrant. So I'm trained in how to put together a service that can be religious, but more often than not, it's, it's very interesting because like a clergy person, you're drawn into people's lives, often at one of the worst times of their lives, but you want to put together an event that uh, is uplifting and still allows for tears. I mean, we're not talking about raucous parties here. Right. We're talking about, you know, recognizing that we 
knew this person, we loved this person, this person made contributions in, in many different ways. And sometimes that can be challenging depending on the person who died and their personality if they were not, you know, terribly good people. Uh, but we always find a way to tie the family, the participants together, and uh, whether it's music or themes, um, this, this one life celebration that I just did recently, they didn't want it religious, but they did want a couple of, you know, the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm. But the deceased gentleman was a uh, fan of Tolkien. So I read this passage from the end of the trilogy where uh, Frodo is uh, going to sail off with Bilbo to the Grey Havens. And Frodo has these words for Samwise Gamgee, you know, your life is not over. You still have to live and complete what you're here to do. And, you know, beautiful messages coming out of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's um, that's an example of different ways to have an uplifting celebration of life that that is keyed in on the person. And that's that's the key yeah. is to focus on their personality. Yeah. Barbara and I were kind of in a fog and we left we left it to friends to pull this thing together and it was spectacular. Well, and recording funerals, you know, people record weddings. Yeah. Why not? Most funerals? People don't think where, when else are people going to be saying such great things about you? You should definitely record funerals. <laughs> you know, I don't know that there was ever a eulogy. I don't, I'm, there might've been, but I just don't recall. I just think that everybody was there and just, communicating just different Allison stories with each other. And I think that that was really kind of the main point of it. Funerals do bring together different circles of our lives. And this is where we appreciate just how much of an impact we as individuals can have in our lifetime, because, you know, there, if, if you were talking about me, you know, in addition to my family, there's writers groups, there's the YMCA folks, there's, um, you know, cemetery people, uh, all the people I know in the funeral industry. So if you can bring together those different areas of life, work, play, religion, that's when you begin to get that bigger picture that we're really all connected. Yep. Yep. Indeed. One of the other chapters that you talk about is being creative with cremains. And that was the other thing about your TED talk that I thought, well, this is really unusual. What we did was the Natahala River, where we all would go to Whitewater Kayak, was one of Allison's favorite spots. Okay, this is a special place, and that's where we sprinkled her ashes in, in the river. My wife has a, a friend whose husband died fairly young. And he'd been a football player in college, but seldom played in a game. Now, a tradition at this particular school was that alumni would run across the field before each game. And his wife always took some of his ashes to sprinkle on the field as she ran. <laughs> so he was on the field at every game. So so that those were some of the examples of what we did, what we know of others. You mentioned in your book that... 
Um, a lot of people like to, to sprinkle cremains in the national park. You know, they just say, well, you can do that. Just it's, it's one of those don't ask, don't tell kind of things. What are some of the other more creative ways that you have, uh, seen? And also tell me about all these stored cremains all over the country. That was the other thing that struck me. Well, and in fact, I just saw an, an article, I believe it was in the Washington Post, about the unclaimed cremated remains in this country every year are numbering in the tens of thousands, if not up to 100,000 people a year being unclaimed. Uh, and I, I just think that's such a tragedy. Uh, if Whenever I win the lottery and start the Good Goodbye Foundation, I would start a program to set up uh, ossuaries or where you would put the cremated remains of individuals and have their name, their dates mm -hmm. inscribed uh, around that. And in fact, there, there are some cemeteries that offer that as a free service. One of the things about scattering remains in a favorite place is can you remember where that place is exactly if you want to go visit right uh, i i do have personal experience with you know scattering remains up in the mountains here in new mexico and uh, i thought i could find the place very easily but it wasn't as easy as i thought it would be <laughs> but this day and age, you can make cremated remains into these beautiful uh, round, uh, flat stones. There's a company that, that will take the cremated remains and return a bag of, usually they're white, but sometimes depending on the composition of the cremated remains, it could be kind of greenish, bluish, brownish stones. And, and, you know, people could keep those or, you know, toss them into a lake or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just the amount of people who are getting cremated has shot up, especially during the pandemic, because funeral homes are getting backed up. I mean, that's we're, we're really in a tough spot right now with the pandemic and the number of deaths. Not only the hospitals, but the funeral homes are also overwhelmed. So everybody is stressed and tired and, you know, trying to do the best that we can. So uh, I would I would urge patience and uh, to to try and keep healthy. And uh, yeah. yeah, my my vote is uh, get vaccinated as well. <laughs> it seems like we kind of lag behind as a country in terms of cremations versus traditional, you know, in the ground burials. Do you think that that's, that ultimately that's where everybody's headed as it were is, is cremation? Not necessarily. Um, certainly, you know, there are religious traditions that say burial is in the ground is preferred. But, you know, Japan's got a 99% cremation rate. Uh, I think in the United Kingdom, it's in the 80% rate. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and even our neighbors to the north in Canada, um, they have a higher cremation rate. Well, it's cold up in Canada. It's a good <laughs> way to warm up. <laughs> There's a growing interest in green burial, the idea of having your body returned to the earth as naturally as possible 
in a place that can help preserve green open space. And uh, in fact, I'm I'm going to be hosting a the opening event for the Green Burial Council is having a uh, virtual conference, and uh, I'll be facilitating conversations about why choose green burial. Um, in my case, Jewish, I'm Jewish, and Jewish mm-hmm. burial is naturally green burial because we don't embalm the body. Uh, the body is dressed in cotton or linen clothing. The casket is usually a soft pine or poplar wood that um, will decompose into the earth, and, and it's put in contact with the earth. It's uh, In a conventional cemetery, this is the closest you can get to a, uh, a green burial. And, and so I'll be talking about that and showing some film clips. I, I use a lot of film clips in my talks, usually funny film clips, mm-hmm. uh, to illustrate and, you know, just loosen up people around the topic of death because so many people don't want to talk about it. Well, but yeah. <laughs> um, I've been doing this for 11 years now and so far so good. <laughs> One of the other funny chapters uh, in the book is... I got it at Costco. <laughs> I thought, okay, where are we going with this? Tell me. Well, um, about how to um, reduce your costs when you're uh, preparing for a funeral. Yes, Costco and Sam's Club uh, do sell caskets online. Isn't that there are wild? A lot of, that's, that that's is. Just, that's is. just too funny. <laughs> But in fact, like here in the Albuquerque area, there are um, small businesses that actually make very nice plain pine caskets. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a place called the Old Pine Box. I used to be on the board of directors for a nonprofit called Fathers Building Futures, which gives jobs and skills to ex-convicts. And they have a woodworking shop where they make a beautiful wooden kosher casket for burial or for cremation. And so I encourage you to shop around, shop before you drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you can find it at Costco. But but the you know the notion of the pine box versus you know these fancy caskets and all that, you know, the person lying in the casket doesn't care. You're buying a, a fancy casket not for the person that's going to be occupying it, but for the family, I, I just that's a, that's a head scratcher to me. You know, you talk about religious customs for death. Is that part of it, or I want to say people being dogmatic about you know this is what we or, or sentimental that we have to do this because this is what the departed would have wanted. Well, it's interesting how the funeral business has evolved in the United States. And in fact, it goes back to the Civil War when embalming was first uh, introduced in in mass. Mm -hmm. And Abraham Lincoln's assassination, uh, he was embalmed and then put on a train and taken on tour before he got to his final resting place in Springfield, Illinois. And that influenced the American way of death for over 150 years. And they were um, just doing it just for practical purposes, not... Well, to honor Lincoln yeah. and to give people the chance to grieve. And, right. uh, but 
But then people realize, wow, well, if Lincoln was embalmed, I could be embalmed. And <laughs> uh, and and that and Queen Victoria and all of her mourning traditions very much affected how funerals were observed. And in 1881, 1882, that's when you had the founding of the National Funeral Directors Association and what became the International Cemetery Cremation and Funeral Association. And uh, even um, the National Funeral Directors and Morticians Association, which is for the African-American undertakers who were very much community leaders across the country. And and in fact, I'd like to mention that we're going to have a festival coming up October 30th to November 2nd, where uh, we are going to have a presentation about Abraham Lincoln's impact on modern embalming as part of the Before I Die New Mexico Festival, which is also available virtually online. There you go. uh, Well, you need to be you need to be promoting this on this podcast on social media, Gail. I want to make sure you do that. (laughs) I will do that. Yes. And, and we're also Go going ahead. to make a virtual visit to Lincoln's tomb in Springfield, Illinois, uh, in Oak Ridge Cemetery through the wonders of technology. That's great. One of the other things that you talk about in the book that people probably it wouldn't dawn on them to think about is, and your your chapter is, where's Fido? Because pet Oh, I hate to use pet cemeteries, the Stephen King uh, <laughs> illusion there, but uh, but you know, people, you know, pets are like part of the family, and I guess that's now part of the the planning process. I, you know, anybody that loses a pet that they've had for a long time, it's just as devastating—not quite as devastating, but pretty damn close to losing a family member. So Absolutely. what are your thoughts on, on uh, what do you do for Fido? Well, for our feathered and furred and fishy friends, um, you know, there are different disposition methods. I am so struck and, and it is so important to honor the loss of a pet. Uh, if you have a friend who has lost, um, had, a, had to put a pet down or... Um, or had it die, that loss is possibly even more searing because the love of a dog is unconditional. Unconditional. Unconditional love. Yes, yes. And, you know, you could bury them in the backyard. I've done that. (laughs) Very often there are uh, cremated remains services. There's actually been a big growth in the pet funeral home service. Uh, A number of funeral homes have started pet services so that it's it's actually a lead generator for the funeral home because they see how well they treat you when your pet has died, that when a person dies, you'll likely come back to that funeral home. That's really, that's interesting. Well, (laughs) and and smart. I mean, that's a great marketing ploy. I I think that what we can all gain from this is the importance of letting family and friends know what you want and not leave it to chance. And I think that, as I mentioned earlier, when Barbara was having that conversation with Allison, we accidentally didn't leave it to chance with her. 
Tell me the highlights about planning. Number one, you want to have the key pieces of information that go on a death certificate about anybody you might plan a funeral for. That would be their social security number, mother's maiden name, place of birth, date of birth. And if they were a veteran, where's that DD-214 piece of paper that can get you a burial spot in a national cemetery or veteran cemetery? Very valuable piece of real estate. And when you think about it, maybe I know my husband's social security number, but at least I know where to find it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, these are not necessarily common pieces of information that people have. One of the things uh, I offer a free tool at my website, a goodgoodbye.com, where you can give me your name and email and you'll get access to a 10 page planning form, which I'm it, going to put on in my show notes, too. And that's where you see how many, how much information you need to help pull together for your loved ones uh, besides those kind of details, but a chance to spell out what you might like, you know, your favorite songs. Uh, do you want burial, cremation, donation to science, whatever? Who would you want called about your death? You know, we used to have this dog-eared phone book maybe that mom kept in the kitchen or the den. Uh, so you knew the contact information for family and friends. Now, usually uh, this day and age, we've got them in our cell phones, but you also have a code on your cell phone. And if you can't get into your cell phone and, and get all your contacts, how are people going to know? So I'm a big believer in paper-based systems. Yeah, we couldn't unlock Allison's phone. Oh. And Apple would refuse to help us. They just, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. So, so writing down that kind of information, uh, especially your online passwords, I've got actually a five page Excel spreadsheet with my passwords. Cause you know, you've got your bank accounts and credit cards and media accounts and social media accounts and travel right. accounts. There's so much that needs to be shut down, especially if you've got a credit card that's getting billed every month for whatever service is tied to that. So there, there's a whole host of information that one would need to pull together to help your family be prepared. Well, this has been, this is the short version of not really a long, lengthy primer that you give, but I recommend everybody going to your website, being prepared, and at least tackling this issue and appreciating the humor and the creativity that you've put into this. It's really terrific. And I want to thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. Yes, I'm living proof. It won't kill you to discuss death. Talking about sex won't make you pregnant. Talking about funerals won't make you dead. So start a conversation today. Terrific. Gail, thanks so much for being uh, my guest today. Thank and, you, Andy. Uh, hope we are both around for a very long time. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Take care. You too. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. 
If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.